The Forum at 8 on SAFM. At eight minutes past eight, uh, a report on the Council of Higher Education's task team proposes for the introduction of an extended and flexible, flexible curriculum structure for undergraduate education in South Africa. The report has just been released for public comment. Among others, it has revealed that less than 5% of black and colored students don't make it through university. While half of all first years never graduate, the, ca- the council says a serious overhaul of the system needs to be undertaken if the situation is to change. The task team was convened last year to undertake a review of the undergraduate curriculum structure and to investigate the implications of potential curriculum restructuring. The question we ask on the forum this morning, how do we improve the quality of our higher education? Welcome to the forum and we say a warm welcome to Professor Ian Scott, Director of Academic Development at the University of Cape Town. We spoke to him about the report on AIM Live this morning, a lot, yesterday morning rather. Uh, good morning and welcome. Uh, good morning, Tepiso. Thank you for inviting me. Dr. Nico Yuster is Vice President of International Education Association of South Africa and also Chair of the IEASA Publications Committee. And what we're talking about here is uh, the conference that is taking place in Bloemfontein that is also looking at the interna- internationalization of higher education that's taking place in Bloemfontein. It started yesterday. Very good morning to you, Dr. Yester. Um, good morning, and thank you for having us. We thought we'd fuse the two together while this conference is taking place. This report is uh, released for public comment. So let's just get the basics of the report first. Let's start with you, Professor Scott. I mean, we did speak briefly, but for those who didn't listen, if you could just take us through the, you know, the salient points of what the terms of reference were and what the findings were. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Tupi. So I think the, the underlying issue, challenge here to be addressed is that South Africa has a pressing need for more high-quality graduates. It's a phenomenon around the world that uh, with the way society is going, we need higher levels of educatedness in the country. But unfortunately, we are not doing well in achieving this aim apart from some areas of excellence. And uh, I would like to stress that This is not just a problem for higher education, but it affects so many aspects of our life and the development of our country and indeed the future of our whole education system because it takes graduates to run. I'd like just to correct a couple of uh, misunderstandings and myths, I think, in this area. First of all, it's a long-standing problem. Uh, It's been going back, in fact, to the 1960s at least, Mm. uh, and it's been exacerbated, though, by growth in the system by changes in national and global circumstances to the point that it has now become far more pressing. Uh, the, the second thing is that it affects students from all race groups, though it's true that uh, because of general levels of poverty and other issues, it affects uh, the black and colored communities more. Uh, the third thing is that, of course, it is strongly affected by Poverty in the country generally, bad socioeconomic conditions, and bad schooling. That is absolutely true. But it's exacerbated by the fact that higher education is using outdated structures, which were inherited, in fact, almost a century ago in the colonial era, and that are not in line with our current realities. If you would let me, I'll just explain a little bit more about this. Can I do that? Um, Again, it's a a myth here that our system is full of so-called weak students. That really is not true. Uh, We have very low 
participation rates in higher education by world standards and also by the standards of comparator countries. The numbers don't matter much, but our what is called the gross enrollment rate uh, is around 17%, whereas in the first world it can go up to 90, and in comparator countries it's often around 30, so we are definitely lagging behind. It is also racially skewed still, with uh, white participation being four times as high as African and coloured, with the effect that really only about 10% of our African and coloured youth are getting into higher education at all. Now, this is a very bad thing, but it's also an important indicator that the students that we get into the system have a strong potential to succeed. They are our best achievers in the education system. And if we cannot do well with the top 10% of our majority population groups, then we have to ask serious questions Mm. about why. I mean, just looking at what you say, some of the major factors are, Professor, one of the things you mentioned yesterday was the historical and systemic problems and and that has a a lot to do with how education was segregated uh, not only in terms of funding but if we're going to look at what feeds into higher education that's basic education levels even things such as um, access the fact that that too was segregated that uh, different racial groupings went to school at different ages fundings to impact on the quality of education that also plays a major role in terms of what we're seeing in your results or am i wrong that's absolutely right and we've been profoundly affected by our history uh, in all in all ways but it is quite interesting that those effects are not uh, quite as predictable mm. as one would think and also that the reasons for them are not confined to the, the schooling area. Mm. By the way, may I just correct something that's uh, been misunderstood in the press recently? Yes, please. Uh, in the last day or so. One of the figures we released was that, uh, you know, I said only about 10% of the youth of our majority population groups get into higher education. And the other critical figure was that under 5% of the youth succeed in any form of higher education. That is now being misinterpreted as only 5% of higher education students succeed. That's not the case. The actual, it's not, thank heavens, it's not as bad as that. But it's still bad. So if you look at um, the the, the brief facts here, that graduation in five years amongst our contact students, so I'm leaving UNISA out because distance education students tend to take much longer, understandably. But if we look at contact students only, and that's about uh, under two-thirds of our system, the overall rate of graduation in five years, and most of our degrees and diplomas are three years, is 48%. So we under half. Uh, African is 42% uh, because of those circumstances that you've referred to. But even whites, who are the best performing subsector, uh, represent only 61% graduation rate. So more than a third, even of white students, don't graduate in five years. So we can say that no group is performing well, but certainly given, given our past, skewed funding, mm. skewed access, etc., etc., it is 
perfectly true that African and coloured students are least well served by our current system and most vulnerable to the big problems of poverty and poor schooling. Add add to that um, the, the linguistic issue of many African students, almost all, uh, being educated in a language that is not their mother tongue. Okay. And that is a distinct difficulty. Okay, Dr. Yes, I'm coming to you in just a, a moment, but I just want to sort of get the foundational aspects right. of this out of the way. So if we're saying that uh, a lot of this is as a result of poor academic preparation, and yes. you did mention that 5% figure, uh, we're talking about uh, succeeding in terms of completing a degree in regulated time, am I correct? Well, in any time, in fact, mm. that's the difficulty. So the 5% refers to effectively any time. Okay. In fact, the, the number of students, the proportion of students who graduate in the, in the proper time, if you like, the regulation time, in contact students, again, not UNISA, is only 27%. And what is very terrible, uh, Tsefiso, is that by the end of that regulation time, whether it's three or four years, 40% of our intake has already dropped out. So we have lost more students than have graduated by the end of regulation time. So all of this really points to, our, and, and, and you said very well yesterday, that these issues are not about individual students, not about students... Uh, deficits because we know we're dealing with a very high potential group of young people and we've proved that by the way in many in many ways over 30 years but in small ways so what we are dealing with here is systemic your word from yesterday systemic problems dealing with the ineffectiveness of our system to be able to realize the potential of our youth and that is what we need to take decisive steps to deal with and okay. I think we do need, sorry, very quick mm-hmm. thing, I think we do need to address this very, very important issue of should higher education compensate for the deficiencies of what is seen as poor schooling, poor basic education, why are we asking higher education to address this problem? Okay, Dr. Yister, this is where we bring you in. So if we're saying that South Africa has, since 1994, witnessed a, a significant growth in the ro- enrollment of both schooling and higher education sectors, how do we compare internationally? Um, I was listening to Ian, um, and I must say I, um, I, I was brought in quite late on this topic um, yesterday. Um, the, in, in the U.S., the Chronicle of Higher Education just published uh, last week their so-called almanac, and for different reasons I, I viewed, viewed through it and uh, also looked at exactly the same figures. Um, they are better than South Africa, but um, I don't think the whole question of throughput rates and graduation rates and performance of students at universities is a South African phenomenon alone. Uh, even in Europe, there is um, uh, grave concern uh, for this, uh, well, uh, around the whole question of throughput rates and performance of students. The U.S. in particular um, have looked at the public versus the private uh, institutions, and both public and private institutions aren't doing um, that well. So I... I, I do 
agree with Ian about South Africa. I've looked at, I, you know, the, the figures have been um, in some ways available. What is interesting is I've done some work on the international students in South Africa and their throughput rates and their succession rates, and it's much better than the South African students. Um, and that most of them come from other African countries. So I do think that we as South Africa need to look at our schooling. But if you ask us how do we compare, it is so. We are at the lower quartile of the performance of higher education systems. But um, I don't think there's a proper benchmark set. Which is what I was going to ask you. What are the benchmarks are you using to make the comparison? Exactly. I don't think there's a proper benchmark. Um, I know that um, JET has been working on benchmarks, but, you you know, we need to make sure that we take, um, uh, we compare apples with apples uh, when you look at uh, setting benchmarks. Um, Because of the poor data um, of the developing world, it's very difficult to do proper analyses and, and do benchmarking. And therefore, um, we tend, as South Africa, and I've got no problem with that, to benchmark ourselves more towards the developed world than the developing world. A very interesting benchmark would be for our South Africa to benchmark itself against the BRICS countries. And that's a research, pro- pro- uh, a research uh, project that I'm involved in on how, how do we compare with Brazil, India, China, and Russia. Okay. Um, in the sense, but the, the data isn't available, and it's difficult to do that. But I do think we, we firstly have to look at ourselves as South Africa, but then also if we want to set a benchmark, we need to perhaps look much broader than just the European and the, or the first world benchmark. Okay, well. Tepiso, uh, may I comment uh, two brief things on that, just directly to comment on, on Nico's things? Uh, Prof, if I could just ask you to hold the thought okay. and just comment. We need to take a quick break, but we're sure. going to return and also take calls. 0891104208. How can we improve the quality of our higher education? Global economic challenges continue to affect South Africa with higher levels of unemployment, especially the youth, coupled with slow economic growth forecast at levels below 3%. The South African Trade, Investment and Tourism Promotion Guide, in partnership with SAFM, will be hosting monthly radio broadcasts to promote trade and investment opportunities to local business and foreign investors. We invite business from all sectors to join us at the launch of Gauteng Symposium on the 26th of August 2013 in Pretoria. To participate, contact Boyce Fatshaneni at OH2-923-4402 or email at boycech at bbmmedia.co.za Also visit www.southafricanguide.co.za Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights, and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. Uh, excuse me, sir. The masseuse is ready for you. Ah, good man, Jeffrey. Uh, can you get me two tins of beluga and a bottle of that exquisite French champagne? Ah, sorry, sir, but the kitchen is closed. Perhaps some potato crisps? Warm soda? Sorry, I ran out. What? No. Well, what's the matter, dear? What's wrong? Oh, I had the most horrible nightmare. The hotel didn't have 24-hour room service. Oh, no. Don't let this happen to your customers. Help them sleep comfortably knowing they're staying in a star-graded establishment. 
Visit tourismgrading.co.za to find out how to get graded. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Now we continue with our conversation. The question we're asking is how do we improve the quality of our higher education? We're in conversation with Professor Ian Scott and Dr. Nico Yuster. If you'd like to join us, 891 Professor Scott, just before we enter the break, you wanted to comment on something that Dr. Yuster would say. We're talking about South African comparison to um, other countries in terms of international standards on higher education. Right. Hello, Nico. Uh, nice to have you here. Just to say two things, if I may. Um, Nico is absolutely right about the, the figures in the U.S. and other countries and the international nature of the problem. However, I think we do have to realize that South Africa uh, and the U.S. are totally different in the matter of the levels of participation in higher mm-hmm. education. Our big problem, Tsipiso, is that we have what I'm afraid I call the worst of both worlds in that we have low participation, so we've got our 18%, whereas the U.S. is in the upper 80s, 87 or 88%. Uh, But in spite of the selected nature of our students, we are getting these bad throughput rates. So we ought to be able to do much better. I mean, in the the top 10% of students in the U.S. or the developed world would be expected to, to have 80 or 90% success rates, uh, whereas we have under 50. So I think that is our difficulty. If we look at the rest of sub-Saharan Africa, uh, Nico is absolutely right. We have very scanty data on that. But we do know that the overall participation rate, is in the, the average one, is in the region of about... 6% against our 17, so it's very, very low. But if you look at the, I think the success rates, the, the indications are that the success rates in other parts of Southern Af- Africa are somewhat better than ours. If they were, let's say they were 60%, then about 5% of their youth, five or, uh, sorry, 3 or 4% of their youth would be succeeding in higher education, whereas with all our resources, only 5% of our youth are succeeding. And that's very disturbing to me. I want us to look at the benchmarks, uh, come back to that, and the differentiation factors between South Africa and other countries as well, just when we talk about the quality of our higher education system and and whether or not it is necessarily of an inferior nature. 0891-104208. If I could ask the callers to be brief, Yanus in Cape Town, you say it's our selection process that's a problem. Hi, good morning. Uh, I think the, pro- the problem, I think, is that we are uh, is very easily dropping the standard of our, our education, especially in, in university education. We are trying to, to you know, to, to uh, in do things which actually satisfy the students more than, 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 the, than the results of the final uh, exams, uh, which will be, should be much, much higher. We, we are the nation of diplomas and certificates. We are the nation of the conference about the conference. And also, uh, one, one point I would like to bring. Normally, like in, I'm from Poland. When we, we had a student where it was, let's say, two students per, per one position, they had to pass the exam before they enter to the university. We have, don't see this here. That's why after, after two, three years, they're dropping, they're changing their mind. You, they cannot, uh, you cannot, they, they're not educated properly for, for, for the position. Thanks, uh, Janusz. Emmanuel in Johannesburg, good morning to you. And if I could also ask you to please be brief. Good morning, Good morning, panel. Also, <clears throat> I just want to say to, uh, 
two or three points. One is, in terms of the report, I think uh, it would be very helpful for Ian to just give the breakdown in terms of uh, the different uh, sections within South African community. So the 18%, for instance, participation rate compared to America, more than 80%, really. When it breaks down, then you see the racial difference is almost, mm. that the white one is almost equal to the European one. So I think, uh, although I understand Ian is trying to uh, kind of make some general points, but I think there's a fundamental issue in terms of inequality, uh, racial and historical, and I think uh, Ian is, is, is not really making that absolutely clear. From that, what I think what arises is we need to define, I think, the purpose of the university in South Africa and in perhaps also in, in other parts of Africa. Again, it's two very important things. One is the developmental state of where we are, and the second is the inequality that we have, particularly in South Africa. So that would mean then, if we redefine the university, and if we see the context as inequality, it would mean redefining the uh, curriculum on one side and looking at the inputs and, and the critical people who are entering the system. And two, and very important, is we need to uh, develop a system and a model where we would have a larger number of black students uh, taking postgraduate studies, PhDs. I have been teaching for two years in one university, which I'm not going to mention, but uh, there hasn't been any systemic kind of work to bring young black intellectuals uh, to reach the point of PhD and to reach the point. And that is because most of them economically, the private before, when they get the first degree, they have to go out from the system. There is nothing in the, in the university that incubates this one to reach okay. that one. And that is really fundamental. Thanks, one. Thank Emmanuel. You. And uh, unfortunately, it is 8.30 now, so we're going to have to take news headlines and uh, also your traffic update. But we will continue with the conversation. Please do uh, send us SMS if you'd like to communicate that way. 34701, that's the SMS hotline. Two rand per SMS. We are available on Twitter as well at AIM Live on SAFM. 8.30, your news headlines now with Fabakshni Chetty. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's uh, 27 minutes to 9. We continue with our discussion. We're asking the question, how do we improve the quality of our education? This, of course, on the back of the Council of Higher Education's task team releasing a report uh, which uh, has uh, come out with uh, what have been, you know, on, on the face of it, pretty bad uh, figures that, for instance, saying that uh, less than 5% of black and colored students don't make it uh, through university, while half of first years never graduate. The council saying that there's a need for a serious overhaul of systems undertaken uh, to be undertaken to change the situation. We're in conversation with Professor Ian Scott, Director of Academic Development at the University of Cape Town, and also who sits on that uh, as the CHE task team as well as Dr. Nico Euster, Vice President of International Education Association of South Africa. They are holding a conference in Bloemfontein to look at, uh, uh, amongst others, uh, Internet, internationalization of higher education. Perhaps just to come back then to you, Dr. Yusra, on some of the issues that we've been discussing. If, if we're saying, for instance, that South Africa's refer, research base is the strongest and most diverse, the largest in Africa, produces at about 80% of basic research and about 1% of the world's most, in, uh, world's 
top institutions. What seems to be the problem? We're talking about benchmarks. What sort of benchmarks should we be looking at? I mean, the issue of um, access and success was mentioned earlier on by Emmanuel. One of the callers is saying that there is a gap just in terms and it's very clear from the report that it's a racial gap. If you look at a country like the US, the figures may be turned upside down, but there should be a reflection of the same given its uh, political history. Um, it is true. I've just looked at the report that I was um, focusing, uh, that I was referring to. Um, only 13% of the students in the U.S. are African American, and only 9% uh, is Hispanic, and still 58% or 55% are, are white American. And, and the report also indicates that that is, um, indicates that the low participation rate of especially Hispanic uh, students. And we know that they are nearly 30% of the population now already. So, but, uh, you know, benchmarking is always a, uh, an interesting um, concept. And I don't know whether it's always useful. Mm. It is useful if you want to compare yourself. I do think, and, and, and the report, I haven't had time to study it in, in detail. Uh, it's, a, it's a very thorough report. Um, but what is coming out of the conference in terms of curricula, for instance? Well, th- th- this is what I wanted to refer to. I, I think we, we also need to make sure that if we go forward in rethinking uh, what we want to do in South African higher education, especially at undergraduate level, um, perhaps we must uh, look much broader um, in, in curriculation. Mm-hmm. And it, it is in the report, and Jan uh, is, is absolutely correct in what they're saying. If you, if you look the trends, the new trends, there's a lot of debate about the so-called four years more uh, liberal arts college type uh, curriculum where the first two years is a much broader uh, education of the student and then the specialization thereafter. Um, I, uh, I've i been doing this for many years. Um, uh, I was working at Fort Hare before I'm now at Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University and, and the, and the uh, the notion that we bring in our students and train them as professionals from year one um, has probably worked for the economy, but I don't know whether that is the most efficient way in educating our students for the work uh, for the world at work. We must, we must, you know, the world has changed, and we must make sure that the attributes, when the student, the, the graduate attributes, also speak to a globalizing world where our students will, whether they they leave uh, or work internationally or in South Africa, they're constantly confronted with uh, being in a globalized world where they have to work in a different environment. And, and I, I do believe that we need to debate that. And currently at the conference, one of the debating, uh, the points of, uh, that we're debating is the internationalization of the curriculum and how do we broaden the curriculum at the universities to, to uh, include all of this. It's also on how do we make sure that our university campuses become much more global campuses and thus uh, practice the so-called internationalization at home where we create more an international ambiance on campuses uh, because we as South Africa can't do what the, the developed world is doing, sending out 30-40% of our students to other countries. We have to uh, utilize the large number of international students on our campuses to bring the, the multicultural and intercultural competencies to our own students. So if we re-look at the curricula, my um, 
my uh, plea would be that we should not forget that and we shouldn't just look at the the local issue but we uh, we as South Africa and all our students that graduate are much more part of a global world than what they were 20 years ago. Professor, if we're saying, for instance, in terms of preparation, that's not something that we can fix quickly in the near future. And, uh, and taking into account the fact that undergraduates do have a closer uh, interaction in terms of the career systems or even life orientation, one of the things that you were talking about is uh, in the report is that there's a need for flexibility in terms of the curriculum. But I wonder, in, in terms of the articulation gap, how would that work from the very basic point of view. Yes. Uh, we haven't really looked yet at what can help to fix this problem. Uh, so I think the important question that underlies what you are asking is why are we looking at curriculum and in particular at the curriculum structure? So we're not discussing in great detail the content of curriculum, although that's very important, but we're looking at the overall framework of the curriculum. And the reason for that, uh, Tepiso, is that it sets the framework for everything we do in teaching and learning. And if you have a, a framework that doesn't work, and our, our framework cramps us, if you have that, then there's very little that you can do to improve the effectiveness of it. And by the way, I think your, your title is a very good one today, but we should be looking at, uh, at another word too. It's the effectiveness of our higher education mm. system in producing the graduates that we need, developing the talent in that way. So just to give you an example, uh, I mean, we, we layer a, a tight degree structure on top of a not well-working school system. We inherited this curriculum structure, believe it or not, nearly a century ago from the Scottish system, uh, and think how much has changed since then. So for us to, to expect to achieve in three years what an English honours degree post-A-level or whatever achieves is unrealistic. And I think that we are seeing the results of that lack of realism in these serious failure rates, dropout rates, and indeed big questions about the quality in some cases of the outcomes of higher education. So we need curriculum space to be able to do various things. We've, we've really thoroughly investigate what, investigated what the difficulties are in our current structures. And the, a critical one is, of course, what we call this articulation gap between school and higher education. And what that actually means is a discontinuity between where schooling leaves off, and this is the upper end of schooling. We only take in 10%, remember, of our majority population mm -hmm. groups. Uh, discontinuity between that and what higher education has traditionally expected. Now, you can understand that if expectations are made of students, however bright they are, that are not realistic, if they haven't been taught things, they are not going to be able to do well and very often will be feeling behind and depressed and demoralized from day one. That is absolutely unnecessary uh, given that these are our top students. Okay. I'm going to take calls. Dr. Yusuf, if you can please answer this question for me very briefly so that I can go to my callers. In, in terms of the conference, uh, the importance of uh, the system of having ONA levels in other countries, is that uh, informing in any way whether there is a better quality of graduate when you get into undergraduate, postgraduate systems? 
Um, look, the ONA level um, education that we find in some of the countries north of our borders and also in UK and so on um, have its benefits. But I, I, I don't uh, see that um, if you... If you, if you, for instance, take um, the Kenyan system, where mm-hmm. they moved away from O&A levels and introduced the Kenyan senior certificate, which is very much on par of what we're doing, mm-hmm. the KCSE, the, what they do, however, have in that is a differentiation between the so-called higher grade and, and standard grade subjects. And I, I think that there's a lot of um, debate in South Africa when we moved away from the old system to the current one, do we prepare students, uh, or is there enough opportunity for students to be prepared at school level to go into university? And that's a long debate. Okay. I, um, the, the ONA level um, for Zimbabwe and uh, uh, Uganda and those places work quite well, and the majority of their students that go into their universities are the A-level students. In many cases, it's 13 years of schooling and not only 12. Okay. So... Um, uh, it is a very good system. If, if we look at the, if we analyze the international students that are coming into South Africa with A levels, they they do perform well in the first and second year, where the A level gives them the, that edge. In the third year, the 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 performance would be then much more closer to our South African right. students. Let, let me go to the callers now. Oh eight nine one one zero four two eight. I apologize, Tula Sizo. I realize you've been on the line for a bit. Tula Sizo in Johannesburg. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Um, you know, I, I think that we, we're going about this thing the wrong way because we're not looking at the real factors. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a postgraduate student and it is so difficult to actually get to, to do my honors, you know, because um, the marks that one gets, you know, does not reflect your, your, your abilities. You know, um. unfortunately, if you can't call back to Lassizo, please do. We'd like to hear from you. Um, I think he was introducing a very interesting point there. Dr. Mozepa on the line. You want to talk about the performance results uh, at UCT. Good morning. Good morning. We are funders of students at university and at high school. I'm also a patron of one of the uh, organizations that fund disadvantaged students to well-resourced schools. My concern, let me start with the FET colleges because I have a, we have an experience of students with math literacy being admitted to study in disciplines where they will definitely not succeed. A student with math literacy being admitted to do engineering uh, I've at Central Janitor College at the Rudaport uh, campus and also at the uh, what is this, the Harangua campus, where students really are placed in a position where they will never succeed, and two, three years down the line, they lose first their NISFES funding and are uh, clueless of what to do with their future. Now, my other concern is a test, two-class test at UCT, where about 148 students in the engineering department had for the first class test 22% class average, 22%. The second class test 29%. It really raises many, many questions. Mm -hmm. These are supposed to be the cream of our country. It's not just some, you know, random university anywhere in the world. 
I've listened to Professor Scott and uh, I've listened to his U- uh, YouTube, uh, you know, at Inyatela conferences. And we've been discussing as funders, because I also attend meetings with other funders, our concerns, something needs to be done. I can. And I agree with Professor Scott. We shouldn't destroy the ambitions of young students. And I am going to, actually going to follow up with an email to Professor Scott. All right. Thank, thank you. Pro- thank you, Dr. Motsepe. Edwin, let's go to Professor Sanders first because uh, you've been on the line longer. Professor Sanders, you want to talk about South African students for, vis-à-vis other countries? Yeah, thank you very much. At the university that I am at, we have a <clears throat> distance learning program which is open to students from all over Africa and beyond, but the great majority of students are African. <clears throat> so we take students from 17 African countries. The time to completion is about 3.3 years on average, which is quite good for a distance learning program and not much better than UNISA's, and we can talk about that. But the South African students without exception, or with very few exceptions, uh, are at the bottom of the pile. South African, Namibian, uh, Swazi, and the Sutu students do worst. Zimbabweans tend to do best, closely followed by Ethiopians and others. So clearly what Professor Scott says, there's a big problem with our schooling system. Secondly, Relevance of curriculum. Um, I'm, I work in the area of public health. I'm absolutely appalled at how little transformation has taken place in curricula to make them relevant to South Africa's needs. This applies to the technical universities, but it applies equally to the non-technical ones, where um, students are being prepared for a country uh, that does not resemble what the majority mm. of South Africans live in. And finally, Professor Yerster talks about the advantages of globalization or internationalization of our student body. Well, there are disadvantages as well. It's much cheaper for an American student to enroll at a university in South Africa, pay the fare, pay the fees, pay to live in Cape Town, for example, than uh, enrolling in the U.S. So we're in a danger of crowding out our own South African students. So, in summary, something urgent needs to be done with schooling. Secondly, distance learning is good for massification. It need not be as slow and unproductive as UNESA's. And thirdly, we really need to look at the relevance of our, our curricula okay, for thanks. South Africa. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Professor Sanders. Edwin in George, we need to think, take, things back, take things back to basic. That's what you're saying. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Oh, good. Uh, we have to get back to, to basics. We're in a crisis now. We're going to come from the negative to the positive. Uh, Attitude is the thing that counts. It's no good producing a lot of clever, wicked so-and-sos like Harold Wilson and, 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 and Mugabe and people like that who are running things for an agenda that is not what Madiba would have wanted. Madiba loved his country and uh, his family, and uh, the agenda being run now, pulling us into debt, is not what he sacrificed for. He sacrificed for our freedom. 
Outcomes-based education I was discussing with the headmaster about six weeks ago, and it's peculiar to learn that there's a report which says that the cranial capacity uh, of, of, of uh, people in uh, nations where that's been practiced has materially decreased in a short time. Cro-Magnon man had uh, 20% bigger cranial capacity than we do, uh, which means something must have happened. There have been cycles before. China is, is committing suicide. Uh, there are 1,500 abortions an hour in China and more uh, poor females committing suicide than, than one can imagine. America, with the attitude of the left wing, we need a left wing, we need left and right, of course we do, but in balance, otherwise you'll see a bird can't fly. We need the negative to keep us sharp. By the way, left uh, is sinister in Latin, and Wiedersehens in, in German means uh, anti-clockwise and is associated with black magic and being subject to temptation and yielding to it. We have to keep sharp. We have to get our children, first of all, to be enthusiastic, they need to have the health and, it, and so on to be able right. to work. Thank, you thank can't you need much, engineering degrees. Put our people to work who are crying out Edwin, for Edwin, I have to move on. Thank you very much. Edwin in George. Now, let's come back to my guests. I need to read some SMSs, uh, quite a lot of them, so I'd like to get through as many as possible. Beth in KZN says, Morning, no amount of funds, equipment or buildings will improve education standards if teachers are not good educators. Um, this one's not science. It says, Hi, Sipsu, can you ask the prof to quantify the impact of learning in non-mother tongue? Is government doing anything to develop indigenous languages? Slim says, lowering the matric pass rate to 30% doesn't help the overall situation. You can't fix our education by starting at the top end. You must start at the lower end. The problem lies in our schools, and such is a problem. Not signed, final, noble, in Cape Town, says, my humble analysis of the state of education in this country is that the psyche of most South African learners is that education is more about survival on its own education is not addressing the bread and butter issues bedeviling us. Jabs says to improve our higher education, improve primary and secondary education. In fact, students from IEB schools cope best at varsity. Charles in Cape Town says, why is the prof excluding Indian students, please, uh, Charles? Peter Mogwena says, our students strive to achieve economic freedom by means of education, yet they were advised by politicians that the only way to achieve this is to make babies and uh, Kate says another major factor affecting these figures is the brainchild of Pandey's out of uh, base edu- out of base education. And uh, this one is from Banegas in Umtata. So the SUM total of the sum total of this debate is that we need to think out of the box. University qualification is by nature and design narrow-minded and produces too few entrepreneurs. Well, let me then come back to my guess about this. One of the things Professor Sanders was raising, I think some of the issues and some of the SMSs and calls, is the need to match undergraduate curricula with the contemporary local and global conditions. But Professor Sanders was saying that we need to do that to our own circumstances, match it better with our own circumstances. So are we introducing, uh, Professor alternative curricula which will help us do this and also I'd like you to also deal with the importance of just designing our universities to deal with different students if we're going to be flexible about curricula are we going to be flexible about which institution should admit who the selection criteria FET colleges for some reason people seem to think that it means a lower quality of education uh, t- so, Peter, can I 
I'd love, yes, I'm very keen to address that. I just want to say that there's a lot of talk about the schools, and I think we know very well that the school system is not functioning well. The point here is can we rely on improvement in the school system to solve these problems? And our thorough analysis and the analysis of many other people has come to the conclusion that it is going to take a long time to turn around the super tanker of the school system. So if we are going to address these problems and rely on outside uh, change to, uh, in the school system to, to help us, then we must be very realistic about the chances of that. And just to quantify it for a moment, we have calculated that in order for the university system to continue business as usual in a fairly effective way, we would need two to three times as many well-prepared students, traditionally well-prepared students, coming into the system. There is no prospect of that happening in the immediate future. We are not going to get A-levels. We're not going to get a miraculous transformation of the effectiveness. So what that leaves us with is a stark choice. Either higher education does nothing about it and says somehow or other we can do nothing about it and accept the status quo, which I think is disastrous for the country, or we decide that we must act on factors that are within our control. And this includes uh, working with curriculum structure to help with the articulation gap and to enable the undoubted potential of our student intake to be realized. Professor Saunders makes the point that our students are very often at the bottom of the heap. And that, of course, is an indicator of the problems in the schools. But we need to remember also that the people that are coming in from other African countries are a highly selected elite. We actually have to deal with large numbers of students for the inter in the interests of our country who have high potential but have not had the benefit of elite schooling. And that is really the big challenge for higher education. And in my view, it is the, the fact that we have not come to terms with these realities. That is the major problem rather than any lack of potential on the part of the students. Mm. Well, it's quite simple to deal with it through actually giving ourselves more time, more formal time in the curriculum to be able to address these difficulties, to realize students' potential, and to enhance the value of the curriculum for the contemporary world, which is why we are focusing here on higher education as the one sector that can actually do something about this problem. Okay, we've got Tula Sizwe back on the line. I was going to ask you, Dr. Yuster, to answer that question, but uh, Tula Sizwe is back on the line. It's, it's, a something, it's something that Dr. Mozepe raised earlier on. But let's hear from Tula Sizwe before I come back to you, Dr. Yuster. Tula Sizwe, good morning. Yes, good morning. Um, so, sorry about that. Uh, basically, what I, what, what I wanted to, to, to highlight, uh, which is very important, that um, black students are refused by lecturers to graduate uh, at university deliberately. Um, I did a small survey with, with my, my students when we went to go collect our assignments. And what we did, we, we took all the white students' papers, we put them aside, and we took all the black students' papers and we put them aside. And we discovered that the, 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 the papers were all skewed with white papers White, white written papers were actually sitting at above 65 to 70. And the black students were looking at 45 to about 
Okay. So it's because it's a minute and a half to nine. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to end it here. Just to wrap up, Doctor, your 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 response to that: Is there anything coming out in terms of trends about marking and performance? Um, I, I don't follow. I just say uh, just. Um, Tula says we're here complaining about the the, 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 the differences in, in marking and it being a reflection of performance. That's something that uh, Dr. Mozepa also raised earlier on, although she did speak also about the socio-economic aspects of it. Yeah. I'm you, saying your conference, is it saying anything about that from an international perspective? Um, no. Um, let me let me perhaps just give you a broad... The, the, the conference is, is talking about the... The, the conference focus is on two. The one is on the curriculum and mm-hmm. the internationalization of the curriculum, but the other is on internationalization of higher education and the internationalization of the world in it, uh, of, a, of the world and the changing nature of internationalization of okay. higher education. I thought that would have come up in the discussion within that context, but perhaps just to allow you to give you your final comments because we have literally 30 seconds yeah. left. Okay. Yeah, my, my final comment is just that as we look at at, at re, as we relook at our own higher education system, we need to understand. We need to also make sure that we we look at it from a global point of view, not only a local, and therefore include in it the current drivers of global higher education. Um, the the world has become a much smaller place, and therefore we can't just look for, uh, just plan for ourselves. We need to plan in a broader way. Um, uh, if we go forward, and and that that is what uh, higher education internationalisation will bring to to universities and to curricula. All right, thank you very much to both of you. Apologies that we ran out of time so quickly. Uh, Professor Ian Scott, Director of Academic Development at University of Cape Town, as well as a member of the Council of Higher Education, whose task team report we are looking at. Dr. Nico Yuster, Vice President of International Education Association of South Africa. It's at 9 o'clock time now for the latest news with Fabakshini Chetty and the After Morning Talk.